I, I don't, do you need Jesus? I mean, we're told in Psalm 68, 6, I don't know if you're lonely. God says God is the home for the lonely. Let God just wrap God's arms around you and make you feel like you matter. When you skip to verse 20 in Psalm 68 says, this is the God, God is the God of deliverances, plural. So if you're struggling physically, God wants to deliver you. If you're struggling emotionally, God is the God who will deliver you. If you're struggling spiritually, God is the God who will save you. Do you you believe that? I mean, this is the God who raises us up out of the muck and mire, instructs us, empowers us, and then unleashes us to usher in God's kingdom here on earth. Do you believe that? We're going to begin a series today, and this is a set-up message for this series, that's all designed to see how God, God wants to raise us up and unleash God wants to move us out of slavery into freedom. And I am excited about what God's going to teach us and how God's going to transform us to usher God's kingdom here on earth. Let's pray. God, please prepare us to receive your word this morning. Oh, open our minds and our hearts and our eyes to your truth, God. Mm. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us. We ask you to do that every week because your Holy Spirit convicts us Your Holy Spirit uh, lets us know when we may be off your path. Your Holy Spirit opens our eyes to your truth. Your Holy Spirit enables us, empowers us to be and live your truth, God. Your Holy Spirit sets us free. And we want to be a people of freedom, God. So do do your thing that you do with us. Heal us, restore us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and ask, amen. Hey, when you hear the term slavery... You get a positive or negative vibe. Negative, right? Uh, Why? Dumb question, Pastor Dave. Of course it's negative because someone is dominating somebody else. Webster's defines the term slave in two principal ways. One is a human being who is owned as property by and absolutely subject to the will of another. That's not good, right? The second definition we may be able to relate a little bit more to, a person who is completely dominated by some influence, some substance, some, some person. Now, whether we'd like to admit it or not, we've all been slaves to something. Maybe slaves to our work, maybe slaves to success, maybe slaves to an addiction, maybe slaves to appearance, maybe slaves to our reputation. And when you have been a slave for so long, especially if you've ever been an alcoholic or a drug addict or a workaholic or an appearance-aholic, it can be a little scary. And we can forget, you can forget what it's like to be free. You can forget what it's like to be you. You can forget what it's like to really live. And sometimes we're actually afraid to be free. We're actually afraid to be who God's created us to be because we don't know how to to live and act with this freedom that has been given to us. So what I'd like you to do for me, I'd like you to picture, I'd like you to picture yourself in this scene, that, that you're one of tens of thousands of people standing at a foot of a mountain, a mountain called Mount Sinai. And your leader Moses has just gone up to talk to this God who has liberated you from being slaves in Egypt, which up until that point in time is the only life that you have known. 
from sun up to sun down, your life has been one of toil, one of backbreaking work, making pyramids and cities and tributes to, to this pharaoh, to these pharaohs. And then in the not too distance past, your life has suddenly changed. There's these 10 plagues that swept through the country of Egypt, polluting water, destroying crops, killing livestock, leaving Egypt as a stinking cesspool. And then one day you're told to gather in your home and you're given some, maybe some kind of weird instructions. You're told to take a lamb, to kill that lamb, to take the blood of the lamb, put it, put it above your doorpost so that this, this death angel can fly over you, pass over you, over your house and not kill your firstborn, whether a son, daughter, animal. And so you obey, you do it. And then in the middle of that night, you're told to gather your belongings as much as you can carry some food and to follow Moses out into the desert. And so you do. And you get to this place called the Red Sea. Uh Uh-oh, how do we get through this? Because you look back and you see these dust clouds that have been kicked up by Pharaoh's chariots. They're coming to get you. They're, They're coming to take you back to be slaves again. And then you see your leader Moses raise this staff. And then, and then this God, you're told this God separates the waters and, and, and basically allows you to walk through this watery tunnel to the other side. And as you get to the other side, and as you're getting out of this, uh, this Red Sea, you turn and you see the Pharaoh's army coming after you. And then you see God allowing these waters to crash upon Pharaoh's army and to destroy it in front of your eyes. And then you turn and you follow this Moses guy out into the desert to the who knows where, find the who knows what. Now you're standing at the base of this mountain. And you hear some thunder up there. So you assume that God is speaking to this Moses, your leader. You're free, but in so many ways, you're still slaves because that's the only identity you have ever known. You're free, but you really don't know how to live and act with this freedom. And, and, and you suddenly realize as you, as you look around to the people that are there with you that everyone else has the same question that you do. Now, what do we do? We never thought we'd be in this place. We don't even know where this place is. We're in the desert. We're lost. We're at the foot of some mountain and we've seen this, this God do some pretty miraculous things but now what do we do? What's next? And so you look up at this mountain and, and you hear thunder and you see lightning and you assume that this God is giving your leader Moses a, a bunch of rules for you to follow because that's the way your life has always been. It's always been dictated by rules, rules of the Egyptians, rules of the pharaohs. And from the sound of things with this thunder and the sight of things with these flashes of of lightning, you assume that these rules are, you're not gonna really like them too much. And then Moses comes down off that mountain and he says this to you as recorded in Exodus chapter 19, beginning of verse four. Exodus chapter 19, beginning of verse four. Uh, Moses says, God told me to tell you Israelites this. You yourselves have seen what I, God, did to Egypt how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. That's salvation language. That's rescue language. 
God's saying, hey, remember, I'm the one who saved you. Verse five, now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant. Now, I wish we could make life that simple. Just obey God's instructions. Hmm. If you obey me and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Doesn't say like life's always gonna be dandy, but you're gonna be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You expected to get a bunch of rules. Instead, you are told that God has chosen you. Instead of rules, God is offering you a covenant a covenant relationship, a, 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 a marriage proposal, so to speak. And you hear these words that, that, that really don't make a lot of sense to you at this stage in your life. You're told that you're gonna be a kingdom, that you'll be priests, that you'll be a holy nation. But you look around and all you see is a bunch of former slaves. There's no kings here. No, there's no priests here. And don't you need land in order to be a nation? And then as you stand there taking in these words, you begin to let them sink in and accept them for what they truly are, a promise of a utterly new and different future. A future that you never could have imagined when you were enslaved to the Egyptians you begin to realize that God is, is, is offering to adopt you. God's offering to take you into God's family. God is looking at all the peoples on the earth and God is saying, I choose you to be my people. I choose you to covenant with. And as part of that covenant, and, and hear me on this, is we'll see this as we walk through these instructions over the next, over the next few months. This is a God who raises us up out of slavery, for us, slavery to sin, who instructs us, who empowers us, and then unleashes us to go make this world a more godly place. And and, and so as part of this covenant, God gives the Israelites 10 instructions. You probably refer to them and know them as the 10 commandments. How many people here have ever heard of the 10, 10 commandments? Okay, a lot of us. And in the churches that I've grown up in, they were always told to me as, as a bunch of rules. That's at least how I received them as. You know, if you were a kid and you were in Sunday school, you had these 10 commandments on the wall that you had to memorize, right? And they sell these things that, that you can put in your Bibles that you can memorize these 10 commandments. And so, so we have a tendency to look at them in a static way, kind of a cold way. They're just rules to follow. Now, I want us to look at these things as a, as a set of instructions to live by. God gives them as a set of instructions to, to help, help shape the Israelites into God's people, to help shape us into God's people, a people who are all about showing the world who God is, what God cares about, and who God cares about. These instructions are all about shaping the Israelites and shaping us in, into God's people, a, a, a people to show the world that there is a different way to live than the Egyptian way. The Egyptian way was all about exploiting people to get ahead. God's way is about living for the best interest of others. These instructions that God is giving to the Israelites and to us, they're all designed to transform us from being slaves to humans again. Human beings, human beings created in the image of God. 
And it's as if God is saying, I'm giving you these instructions. I hope that you will receive them. Because once you receive them, once you embrace them, once you live them, you will start to see in yourselves and in each other the image of God that was almost wiped out of you after so many years of slavery. Again, to the Egyptians, for the Israelites, for us to sin. And if we will follow and embrace these instructions, hear me, this is God saying this to us, we will never be slaves again. Not even to ourselves. We will be free. Oh, I love these instructions. These 10 commandments, I love to look at them as instructions. Instructions that God has given us to transform our our lives, to transform the way we live as a community. Instructions given, hear me on this, to protect us from ourselves. We'll see that in a minute. Instructions that are designed to save us from our darkest impulses. Those impulses that got shaped within us after so many years of living as slaves to sin. Those impulses that generate and create these kind of of, of media reports and incidences. Man commits suicide when corn prices recently fell, causing him to lose his fortune. I think they're at a 10-year low. Exodus chapter 20, verse three says this, God tells us, you shall have no other gods before me. Why? Because when we follow another God, that God will always fail us and lead us down a path that leads to disastrous results. In this case, a man taking his own life because the God he worshiped did not deliver. Are you following me? You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. We go, woo, that's not good. And it's not. But listen to the next phrase here, clause, verse six, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. How you live today impacts your family. (laughs) Who wants to impact their family in a thousand generations with God's blessing? I do. Hmm. Or this headline, this is what happens when our darker impulses take over. This is a church. Whew. I don't know if you ever heard of Westboro Baptist Church. Westboro Baptist Church marches with these signs. God hates fags. Thank God for dead soldiers. God hates you. Exodus 20, verse seven. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord, your God. I think this church may be misusing God's name. Each week, we're gonna look at a different one of these instructions and we're gonna get to the backstory and understand these in a deeper way and then also bring them to life in the New Testament. This is the clause that continues. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. It's not just about not saying GD this and JC that. As we'll see, there's a lot more to this not misusing 
the Lord's name. Or this headline, again, this is darker impulses. When they take over, these are, this is another headline. Lawyer's heart gives out and dies at his desk. He had not gone home in a week. Yeah, that's my uh, former friend and colleague, Jack Beard. Yeah, we found him in the morning at his desk with his head down, heart gave out, dead as a doorknob, gone. Exodus 20, verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that was in them. But he rested on the seventh day. There are really good rhythms in life. And we'll see how if we embrace these godly rhythms, how how much fuller our lives can be. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. When our darkest impulses take over, we get headlines like this. Teenager beats parents to death. Elderly woman dies of loneliness in a nursing home. No one came to visit her in over a year. Exodus 20, verse 12, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord God is giving you. And we will really look at this backstory here on this one and understand who God is speaking to and how that impacts how we should live. This one will be a little per- more personal, personal for me as I'm working through a lot of issues here. I hope I, I, hope I, can, actually, I, hope I can actually get in and deliver this, this message because it's, it's one I'm wrestling with. Or this headline, again, another headline, if, if we're... Um, if our darker impulses take over, teenager shot and killed for his Nikes, Nikes. God says in Exodus 20, verse 13, you shall not murder. Now, and everyone, everyone's sitting here saying, hey, Pastor Dave, come on, man. I'm not going to kill anyone. I'm not going to murder anybody. But Jesus takes it to another level when he talks about we can't murder with our words, right? We're going to look at that in depth. Or this one, this, this headline, this, this is when our darker impulses can come over. Headlines like this, Mr. P- married politician. And really the names were too many to put in. So let's say Mr. Married Politician. And, and I can't use the word that I used in, in the first service because our worship team said I can't, I can't use that word. So I had to think of a different word to, to use here. Uh, Mr. Mr. Married Politician uh, caught having sexual relations with his intern or assistant or whomever. Or married teacher accused of sexual conduct with student. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. We're gonna look at that word in depth. What does that really mean? We know it on the surface, but what does it really mean? Or these headlines, two nuns steal $500,000, use it for trips to Vegas. Uh, National truck truck company settles lawsuit for 21 mil for failure to pay workers overtime. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, you shall not steal. Anybody here ever steal something? As I'm I'm working through each one of these, as we walk through each one of these each week, I'm debating whether I should share a personal story with respect to each one. I'm debating that because I'm not sure. If you hear all the things that I've done that are ungodly, you may be thinking, is this our pastor? 
But what I want you to hear is this is a God who can resurrect somebody. I want you to hear that this is a God who can change, who can save, who can restore, who can raise up and who can unleash. We're never too far gone. Hear me on that. When, 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 when our darker impulses come, take over, we, we, can, we, can, we can really say some mean things about people like, yeah, did you hear Katie's a slut? Or did you hear that Kathy slept her way up the corporate ladder? That used to, people used to talk that way a lot in the law firm I used to work in. God says this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. I think if we're honest, we do it more than we think. It makes me want to vomit when we do it as a community of faith. Wow. Or this headline, next door neighbor caught stealing his next door neighbor's 72-inch TV. Or this situation, this is my friend uh, and, and consulting colleague, Charlie James. Charlie James's neighbor next door neighbor, caught sleeping with Charlie James's wife. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, God says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When you think about it, when you think about these headlines, when you do a self-examination of your own life, In many ways, just like the Israelites, we are, or at least we have been, just a bunch of slaves. Our identity has been shaped by the things that we have been enslaved to, things like our addictions and our compulsions, our need to consume, our need to acquire, our need to constantly see how we measure up to other people in our life, our perfectionism, our need to be right, our religion. And when you mix our need to be right with our religion, woo, what happens is, is we have a tendency to elevate certain things above what is necessary for our salvation. And so what we can do as a community of faith is we can start to prevent people from coming to know this God who saves and rescues and frees. We can start to prevent people from living out the giftings that the Holy Spirit has given to them because that person doesn't really fit a certain persona. All these things, our our work, our addictions, our compulsions, our need uh, for for that-a-boy approval, our reputation, all these things can have power over us. All these things can control us whether we want to admit it or not. And we need to be free of them. I know that was and still is for me. Believe it or not, there was a time in my life where it became very difficult for me to speak in public without having this overwhelming feeling of wanting to cry. No, it sounds strange. This is when I was a a, a lawyer. And I'm in these meeting rooms and I'm in, I have to actually excuse myself at times. They have to use the restroom. Why? Because I was so knotted up inside. I was trying to control my life to such an extent. And I was chasing after all these little G-gods, 
God of money, God of power, God of prestige, God of title, God of reputation. Man, I was living for the praise of men, for some partner that I worked for, some client that I was serving. And as I, as I tried to control my life more and more, I realized how much I couldn't control it. And then I realized, holy smokes, I've given my whole life. I mean, I've studied, I've gone to law school, I'm invested in this firm, and it means absolutely nothing. I've gained nothing. And as I'm having this internal wrestle, anxiety is like up to here in my life. And I would have these feelings of just wanting to just break down and cry. And there was no way in this world I was ever going to do that. And so my anxiety turned to anger because that's the manly thing, right? And that anger, it wreaked havoc in my family. Almost destroyed my relationship with my beautiful, awesome wife. Her parents at one point in time asked her, do you want to leave him? On the outside, it looked like everything was going well. Appearances can be deceiving. On the inside, I was dying. And then, and then one day, at church, in our, in our small group, this couple, our leaders, Randy and Linda Haltman, they're in their mid to late 40s. They were in a really good group. Like if I'm at the church and you look at the group they were in, like, whoa, those are like, those are real, I mean, that was a strong group. But they felt like God moving in their heart and their soul and saying, we can stay in this comfortable small group or we can step out of it and actually lead a group of people in their 20s. Hear me on that if you are of a certain vintage. God wants to use you to make a difference in the next, okay? They obeyed. They gathered us and invited us. And so just a bunch of us, young professionals in our 20s, all of us always looking good when we came to church are sitting in a circle and they ask, hey, Dave, because they did this every once in a while, hey, would you share your testimony with us? Because everyone assumed I was good, right? And so I began to share and I got to, the, got to the present. When I got to the present, I could no longer live the lie and I began to cry. I may have shared this before. Tears began to roll down my face Everything got quiet. You could hear a pin drop in this, in this group. And, and, and I said, hey, look, guys, I gotta be real with you. I'm just a church attendee. I'm not a follower of Jesus Christ. And right now, I feel like I'm at a fork in the road. I could continue doing what I'm doing. It's all about me, myself, and I. Or I could start to follow God and let God have God's way with me. And as I sit here right now, quite frankly, I don't know which way I'm going to choose. And that's all I have to say about that. Mm. My friends, these 10 instructions that God gives us, I needed them. They, they, um, they check our darker impulses. I needed to be checked. They warn us that if we nurture these, these darker impulses, impulses like betrayal, 
and theft and envy and greed and improper sex and murder with our words. If we, if we nurture these impulses, they are going to lead us down a path that's going to result in horrible consequences for us. Broken relationship for sure. And we will live a life of strife and unrest. You will not have peaceful rest at night unless you really medicate yourself when you're allowing these darker impulses to drive and control you. Are you you following me this morning? I really do believe that each one of us here can do some really mean and horrible things to other people. We can commit these kind of violations against our family member, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor. Mm. My guess is that many of us already have engaged in some of these violations. I know I have. Some of us may be engaging in some of these violations right now. And those violations against our family member or a friend, <laughs> friend, coworker, neighbor, they can leave deep and lifelong wounds. I mean, you and I know, we know this. We know that deception and lying and adultery And gossip can rip the hearts out of friendships, can rip the hearts out of marriages, can rip the hearts out of workplaces and and even churches. And my guess is that many of us have been harmed profoundly, wounded profoundly by some of these violations that have been committed against us. And my guess is that we may still feel the pain of those wounds because they go so deep. And these 10 instructions, they can't protect us completely from from these kinds of violations being committed against us. You can hope and pray that more and more people begin to follow them and it'll be less and less likely to happen. But what I can tell you is is that these 10 instructions, they they can protect us from committing these kind of violations against someone else in our sphere of influence. As my friends in AA say, you can only take care of your side of the street. Follow me here. I've come to believe that that these 10 commandments, as I've meditated on them and and studied them, are are really 10 instructions that are designed to shape our life and shape our life as a community, as we live them together. I I used to see these these 10 commandments coming from a God, because I had a warped view of this God, coming from a God with a raised hand, ready to give me the back of it if I messed up. These Israelites may have been thinking the same thing because they always felt the crack of the, 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 the Pharaoh God, the Pharaoh God's whip when they messed up. But now I see these commandments as, again, as instructions coming from a God with an outstretched hand saying, come on, I'm giving you these, these instructions. They're a gift. If you will embrace them, if you will live them, I will teach you how to love God, love others, and love yourself, which 
kind of sounds like how Jesus summarized these commands in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31, when Jesus responded to a question, hey, what's the greatest command of all God's commands? And there were like 613 of them. And Jesus says, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, when you look at these commands, they begin, and we didn't look at verse two, but we will. They begin with the phrase, I am the Lord your God. And they end with the phrase, your neighbor. Between these two phrases lies lies the description of what it means to love God and love neighbor. It's as if God is saying to us, Come on, come on, embrace and live these instructions and they will guide you towards relationships that are built on trust, not fear. Trust in God and trust in each other. And then just maybe, just maybe, you, my people, God is saying, if, if you will live in and, and embrace these instructions, just, just maybe these 10 instructions can be a hope for our society that has profoundly lost its way. We're having difficulty now saying if someone is a male or a female. I'd say that's upside down and messed up. God wants to use us to show the world that there's a different way to live than, well, the American way, the capitalist way, the socialist way, the communist way, the Chinese way, the Russian way, the German way, any way that tries to elevate itself above God's way, the creator of all who created us to live in right relationship with God and with each other. Are you following me? Who can argue with you when you say, who are you? Well, I'm gonna follow this God and this God's all about kindness and peace and love, a love of sacrifice for your benefit, a love of action for your benefit, a love of forgiveness. I wanna forgive and let go of any wrong you've done to me. That's God's way. That's God's kingdom. Are are you following me this morning? That is how God wanted to use the Israelites when he said, you're gonna be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation to show the world that there's a different way to live than the Egyptian way. That's how God wants to use us in the world today. God wants to save. God wants to instruct and empower and then unleash Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is anyone who has been saved by Jesus Christ, here's the deal. The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. You're different. You're new. You're better. You're the way I've created you. You don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to be that anymore. You are a new creation, so live like it. And then a few verses later, Paul tells us what our role is in God's story. He wants to use the Israelites as a kingdom of priests and holy nation. Same with us. This, he just puts it this way in verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That is, we are to be a walking image of who God is as an ambassador. That's what it means. 
I don't know, did you get a worship guide this morning? I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna ask you to get a worship. If you didn't get one, get one when you leave. I wanna ask you to get a worship guide every single time you come in here through December. Because on this worship guide, you'll see the last page, there's gonna be a memory verse per Sunday. Here it's two. I want you, and it's, and it's designed, Lindsay did a nice job designing this. It's designed so you can cut it out and put it and tape it on your fridge. Because each week, I want you to take in, digest some truth from God's word. Are, are, you, are you following me? So I, I, I want you to memorize these two verses, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and verse 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Amen? We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God saving you, and you have no question in your mind, God wants to use you to change the world. I want you to know that truth. I, I kind of was joking with Lindsay, I think it was. I said, you know what, man, I'm so passionate about us memorizing scripture each week that I may have a contest. If anybody can stand up and say each one that we do through December, maybe I'll give you my truck, right? <laughs> She's like, are you serious? I'm like, I don't know, kind of, sort of, but maybe I shouldn't say it because I'm not sure just yet, right? <laughs> I want us to be a people of God's truth. Is there anybody here today who wants to be a new creation? Who wants to allow this God of deliverances to deliver you from whatever stronghold the evil one has on you? Is there anybody here who wants that? Is there anybody here who then wants to be used by God to transform this world, to make this world a more godly place? Is there anybody here? I say, yeah. Is there anybody here who wants that? Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I don't know. If there's anybody here who just wants to be made anew by God, just raise your hand up today and I want to unleash a prayer on your behalf. Is there, I see your hands up there. I see your hands, yeah. I see your hands. Yeah, God, you, you know our heart, God, please. We've gotten sideways. And so this morning, we're just laying it at your altar. We're receiving this truth. The old is gone, the new has come. We are a new creation in Christ. So let's live in that freedom, God. Please hear our prayer, please make it happen today and tomorrow and the next and the next. And as you continue to give us breath, God, uh, all of us here, help us to be your ambassadors, to show the world that there is a different way to live, your way, the way you designed us to live. And it is such a beautiful way, having each other's best interests at heart, encouraging each other, breathing words of life into each other, speaking truth, being peaceful people, kind and gentle, God. There is no better way than your way. So may you make us that kind of people individually and as a community of faith, and then use us to unleash your kingdom here on earth. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and ask, amen.